Please remain standing for the reading, which is from Ephesians chapter 6. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning again. Today we come to the end of our sermon series in Ephesians. This is the 15th week, and as you notice, we're at the very conclusion the last few verses that Paul uh, writes to this uh, church in Ephesus and this whole region. You know, we've we've been through a majestic journey with Paul in Ephesians. I don't know, maybe this is your first Sunday, but Paul has taken us on quite the journey. Paul has shown us that God is a God of infinite power, but not merely the type of power that has an infinite ability to act or influence, but It is that, but it's also this categorically different type of power. It's a type of power that can take dead things and make them alive again. That can take ruined things and make them flourish again. It's the kind of power that can make broken things, not just fixing them, making them functional again, but also, as we see today, making them incorruptible. And so... Paul, as he's taken us through this journey, showing us the resurrection of Jesus as a main display of God's power. God just isn't powerful. Paul tells us that God shares his power with his people. And we see that that brings about effects. It brings about new life. It takes dead hearts and makes them alive. It takes people who are separated by all types of things and makes them one. And as Paul tells us God's power, about God's power, shows us that God shares his power. He also then, at the end, tells us how to walk a life worthy of God's design. And so that's what we've seen. We've seen that in 14 weeks. So where would you end if you could end wherever you wanted after we've been on this majestic landscape of all that God is up to in redemption? Well, where Paul ends is where he started. Paul started in verse 1, or verse 2 of chapter 1, with grace, peace, and faith. And now he concludes in the same place. You know, we said that Ephesians is a letter about growing up in Christ. It's a letter about Christian maturity. And while Paul has taken us on a magnificent journey of God's power, he also shows us how he is going to bless us on this journey of transformation. Grace, peace, and faith. Now, our sermon series was called In Light of More. So you might think that the whole point of the sermon series was to explore more than the basics. But in fact, what we see is that as we explore God's purposes in light of more, in light of more than we see, it actually brings us back to the fundamentals. You see, when we see the world in light of more, we actually see the fundamentals more fully. 
Just as Paul started with the fundamentals, as I said, he will end with the fundamentals. And if we're honest, we're all tempted to graduate from the fundamentals. We all are asking ourselves, when do we get to graduate from the fundamentals? Right? If, you, if you're a little kid and you're learning how to play basketball, you think to yourself, when can I start passing the ball around my back? And when can I start putting the ball through my legs and shooting silly shots like Stephen Curry, right? That's what you're thinking. And your coaches are rightly telling you, probably never, but definitely not right now. Why? Because you have to start with the fundamentals. If you're a kid or anyone learning how to play an instrument, let's say you're playing the electric guitar and you want to learn how to play the blues and play solos, where do you have to start? The scales. You never leave the scales. You never leave the fundamentals. And so that's where we are going to end as well. We're going to end where Paul ends and where he begins with the fundamentals. We never move past the fundamentals. I'm reminded uh, Vince Lombardi is, a wi- is widely regarded as one of the greatest football coaches in, in all time. He was an NFL football coach. The Super Bowl trophy uh, is named after him if you're not a football fan. So he's kind of a big deal. But every year he would start the same way. He would gather all the players around the first practice. And remember, these players have been playing this game for decades. These players are playing this game at the highest level possible. And he would take the football and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. And of course, what is he saying? He's saying, we have to start where we always start, which is the fundamentals. And so what Paul is saying is that mature Christians, in order for us to mature, we must in our own way say, brothers and sisters, this is a football. These are the fundamentals, grace, peace, and faith. And so this sermon is part summary, part conclusion, but we're going to look at this, these three fundamentals in light of more. So first, in light of more, peace. It's the very first word in verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith. This is the seventh time Paul speaks of peace in the letter. He started the letter with the greeting of peace from God, and now he's ending the letter with a blessing of peace from God. Ephesians 2.14, Paul says that Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus has brought peace in himself. And now, just as we said, peace is way more than a lack of conflict. It's, it's a deep well-being and wholeness. True peace is when all things in both physical and spiritual dimensions are in right relationship with God and with one another and therefore flourishing. This is why as we enter the Christmas season, the deliverer of the entire story of the Bible is called the Prince of Peace because he's bringing salvation and restoration of all things. So Paul tells us, that now this peace that's come is beginning this total well-being or wholeness, okay? And in our world, peace is something that many of us lack, right? We, we, we see it all the time. We hear about it. Part of it's because the world seems minute by minute to be getting faster, to be spinning out of control. So there are always new conferences, new books, new retreats, new self-development programs to help bring us back to some sense of peace in the midst of a busy life. 
You've seen them, I've seen them, and they're not all bad. They all, many of them do great things. Many of us benefit from these books. But I am struck by, uh, by the, the way or the distance in which some people will go in order to find this type of peace. Earlier this year, I read in Business Insider uh, that Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Twitter and Square, you know, that thing you pay on iPads with, um, he went on a 10-day uh, retreat uh, of all silence. So you're around a bunch of people and you don't talk to them. And you're led through this silent retreat in an ancient Buddhist meditation practice. And so he tweeted about it right after he got out and said, 10 days of silence, you know, feel totally refreshed and all of these things. 10 days of silence, lots of meditation. It's like uh, a spiritual boot camp is one way they said it. In the article, uh, one of the directors of one of these programs, in fact, it's the biggest program, it's in Silicon Valley area. Uh, This is what, what they said. They said, most people come to our courses because they're seeking some kind of peace, peace of mind, some perspective on the things that are making them unhappy in their lives. So what is my point? This is my point. I believe, I believe people can experience a certain type of peace with themselves as they slow down in certain ways and experience that type of silence. I do think that that brings some type of peace. However, the peace that we want, the peace that we need, the peace that Paul speaks of in Ephesians is comprehensive peace because it's rooted in peace with God. And so this total well-being or peace that Paul speaks of in Ephesians is associated with God's presence among his people. You see, what happens when we, when we receive the peace of God is that enmity between us and God disappears. And so now we can be in relationship with God and now we have God's presence. And this is actually the source of peace. And it's this reality of God's presence that gets close to the heart of what Paul is talking about in Ephesians when he uses the word peace. In Jesus Christ, people are brought near to God, the Father. The enmity between God and us has been dealt with and now we are embraced by the Father. So this invitation to see more as it relates to peace is an invitation to see our need to prove ourselves as no longer needed. Now here's the connection, right? Uh, Many of us feel this frantic desire, let's say it's at work, to prove yourself. You feel a frantic desire to show people that you are competent. Maybe, you know, as parents, right? Why do we want our kids to succeed so badly? Whether it's school or sports or simply how they relate respectfully to people who are older than them, how they look people in the eye. Why do we want that so badly? Is it because we're hoping to find acceptance and peace through our kids' performance? Is it because there's a deep need in us to feel included and embraced that when we don't feel that, that we exclude others and create standards by which we live by and others don't so that we feel better about ourselves in order to create some type of peace, some type of well-being? You see, whatever it is that we try to use to gain a sense of peace, we're using that thing to fill a lack in us. And what Paul is saying is that when we understand and embrace the peace of God given to us in Jesus Christ, 
that lack is filled. There is no more gap. There is a well-being. There is a growing sense of wholeness that in Jesus Christ, I am being made full. I am being made whole. And this is the peace of God that is offered to us in Jesus. And so this invitation to more as it relates to peace is an invitation to experience and apply the peace we have with God in all areas of life. Paul wants this for his original audience, which is why he ends here. And he wants this for us. The peace of God that's offered to us is found in Jesus Christ, who is our peace. So Paul says, peace be to the brothers. And of course he means brothers and sisters. So first, in light of more, first fundamental, peace. The second fundamental that he leaves us with is faith. In light of more, faith. This is the eighth time Paul uses the word faith in Ephesians. Again, at the beginning, in uh, chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says that he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus. And in chapter 2, he says that by grace, we have been saved through faith. You see, faith is a complete trust in Christ for our whole of life. Not simply for our salvation. That tends to be where we oftentimes leave it. But to trust Christ is to trust him in all of life. This is actually the biblical faith that we are called to have. You see, when we see faith in light of more, we start to see that faith in Christ is when we trust Christ more and more deeply in every area of life, not just in the areas we find it necessary or obvious. God is calling you and me right now to follow him in all sorts of ways, big and small. And in a lot of those ways, we have no idea what we're doing. And if we're, if we're really honest, if we reflect right now, Christian, non-Christian, whoever you are in here, you know that you are being called by your various responsibilities to step into a reality that you're incapable of doing. You're being called to step into reality that you don't know how to embrace. So there are two natural responses to this type of situation. The first one, when we think about God calling us into places where we've never been, the first natural response is, I can't do that. The other natural response is, I can definitely do that. And they're actually both the same, uh, two sides of the same coin. Whether you're saying in following Jesus, I can't do that, or I can definitely do that, the source of both of those answers most of the time is self. You're having faith in your own effort, in your own competency, in your own skills. Now, of course, we need competencies. We need training. We need skills. Of course, But as many of us are called to step into these new areas, we're always asking ourselves, can I do this or can I not? And so many of you are responsible for developing new products, new services, new degree programs, leading organizations, making challenging decisions. Because after all, leadership is all about change. It's all about taking yourself, if it's self-leadership, 
or others to a place they've never been. That is leadership. So how do you take people to a place you've never been? Where do you get the confidence to do this? That's an actual question. Where do you get the confidence to do this? Now, the interesting thing about faith is that we tend to really focus on the strength of our own faith instead of the object of our faith, that thing we trust in. You know, and I've heard it said this way. um, Imagine right after this, you're going to go straight to the airport for a trip, get on a plane and fly from here to Seattle. So basically as far, almost as far as you could, still in the continental United States. And, and you're standing there in line and you notice this person pacing right next to you. And you finally ask this person, let's say it's you, let's say it's me and this other man. And I say, are you okay? And he says, I hate flying. I'm always so nervous when I'm flying. I'm always afraid of the worst, of the worst thing that could happen. Like, okay, well, you try to comfort him and you say, Hey, I do this all the time, right? Be real logical. You had a better chance of dying on your way here in a car crash than you do flying to Seattle, right? It works every time, doesn't it? No, right? So you both get on the plane and one of you is totally confident and the other one is terrified. But the plane, let's say it lands safely. Let me ask you a question. Who's more safe? The one who had so much confidence or the one who had very little confidence but still got on the plane? Well, they're both equally safe, aren't they? Why? Because they both trusted in the right object. They both trusted in the, the safety of the plane and the competency of the pilots. It didn't matter if they had great faith or if they had small faith. It was all about the object of their faith. They entrusted themselves to step on the plane that they were going to get there. And that's what biblical faith is, Right? It is trusting in Jesus. It's having faith in Jesus. Last week we saw that we were to put on the breastplate of uh, the shield of faith. Sorry, we're taking up the shield of faith. This, this shield that covers our entire body, not one of those circle things, but the oblong things that covers your entire body. And what is that? But looking away from yourself to Jesus, right? And when this happens, as we do this over and over and over, our faith, our experience of it does grow. I think we see Jesus and his trustworthiness over and over and over. And over time and many years, our faith does grow. And yet our safety is never tied to the amount of our faith, but to the object of our faith. And so to trust Christ more fully, to have faith is always an opportunity to experience the presence of power of God in your life. And Paul wants this for you. And if you only reserve faith to church stuff, you're living most of your life in your own strength. You're not just trusting some object to get you there. You're trusting yourself as the only trustworthy object. But you see, Jesus is calling us to trust him in every area of our life. Of course, we need competencies. Of course, we need training. Of course, we need to work hard. Of course, we need all of these things. But ultimately, who do we trust? What do we rest in? And see, there is a connection between faith and peace. What are you resting in right now in whatever God's calling you to do? Are you saying, I can't do that? Or are you saying, I can definitely do that? Either way, ask yourself this, who are you resting in? What is the object of your trust? And so in light of more faith. And lastly, the last fundamental 
that Paul gives us is grace. Verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now this is the 12th time Paul has spoken of grace in the book of Ephesians. He says it's by grace that you've been saved. So what does it mean to be saved by grace? Okay, so in the Bible, we said this, this is summary. Grace is God's unmerited favor in action toward us. And that's actually really important. It's not just that when God gives us grace that he dumps this bucket of stuff on us called grace, that it's like some type of substance. But grace is this unmerited favor, but it's always in action toward us. So when God is gracious towards us, he acts on our behalf. He acts toward us. So God's disposition of love towards his people leads to his being gracious towards us in action. So that means everything God gives his people is unmerited. You know that, right? You know that everything you have, everything that you gave thanks for last week is unmerited when you trace it back. It's all of God. James tells us the same thing. Everything God gives us is unmerited. So everything is a gift of God. And if everything is an unmerited gift of God, then everything given to us is of grace. So to see grace in light of more is to see everything as grace. Even your love for God. And that's actually where Paul ends. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let me ask you a question. Why do you love God? How did that come to be? Well, we saw in Ephesians 2 that you were actually dead in your trespasses. Your heart was not alive. So how did it come alive? Well, it came alive by the work of God, particularly the resurrection power work of God, that type of work of God. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Paul tells us that God produces a new living heart that expresses a true and sincere love toward Jesus. And this love is incorruptible because the source that created this love is incorruptible. Do you see that? The reason that you and I have an incorruptible love for Jesus is because the power that made your heart alive, that produced this love for Jesus, the source itself is incorruptible. Do you remember where the source is? I just said it. It's the resurrection power of Jesus. It's that power that raised your dead heart. And all of a sudden, you actually see Jesus as something you're interested in. Something is more beautiful than relying upon yourself. Something is more trustworthy than relying upon yourself. And so therefore, grace allows us to love Jesus and, to, and allows us to love Jesus with a love that's incorruptible. And to be incorruptible is two things. To be sincere, it's incorruptible, and not subject to decay. It's incorruptible. So ultimately, our love for Christ is a response first to God's love for us. And it is because God's love for us is incorruptible that our love for him is incorruptible. After all, we love because he first loved us. So Paul wants us to know that the grace of God, the unmerited favor toward us that brings our dead heart alive gives us an increasing love 
for Jesus that is incorruptible. These are the fundamentals. Grace, peace, and faith. These are the fundamentals. And the appropriate response to these fundamentals, this incorruptible love, is that from it, what will spring forth is a loving of one another and the loving of our neighbors around us. And our vision been started with at New City is to see our communities flourish through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that will happen as we carry the comprehensive love of Christ everywhere we go. Blessing, serving, praying, and loving. These are the fundamentals. And to see the fundamentals in light of more is to see the fundamentals more fully. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now grateful for this time together in this letter that you've inspired. We ask that we would be encouraged by the fundamentals, that we would take them in and be transformed by them anew today. Please do show us false senses of peace that we have and lead us to our true peace in Christ. Please do show us those things that we trust in that are not trustworthy and move us to trust you more fully. And we ask that we would see all things as gift by your grace rather than thinking that somehow we've arrived or we've earned something. Do this by your spirit. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.